Hi, I'm Will. And I'm Luke. And this is Will and Luke Discuss. A vodcast. And podcast. Where we discuss content related to psychology, personal growth, self-development, and well-being. This This episode, episode, we're discussing... Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers by Robert Sapolsky. Cool, cool. So this is a uh, a suggestion of a book... um, from you something you yep. you wanted to read read for a long time and um you i remember you first getting excited by by some of his uh video lectures um that he put on youtube and i, I heard from a a psychologist on one of my training courses recently about him also and how kind of animated and how popular his lectures were at the university mm. he taught at and um the the topic we'll be talking about today you know is about the the impact of um stress on our functioning on our health and how um you know, personality and emotions and the interactions with our um, body and our environment impact stress and how that impacts us across different areas of our lives. That's right. Yeah. This book's kind of like a classic in the field of, well, stress specifically, but just mental health generally. And um, like, yeah, like you said, I, I followed one of his courses online um, back when I was in a amateur psychology group where we would watch courses and chat about them and i really liked him and yeah so this book of his has been on the back burner of mine for a while so i'm really pleased to get into it it's pretty um as you say it's on the topic of stress what stress is all the physiology of it and how it affects our life and briefly what you can do about it he has one chapter on the end of managing stress which uh, yes yeah it's um it's definitely um uh, it's quite a, a heavy book in terms of its uh, scientific information, I suppose. Yeah. For the the, ge- the general reader, it's quite a uh, yeah. There's a lot of um, depth in each chapter, and it goes it's, it's quite dense in that. But I think there's definitely some uh, some lessons and learnings we're able to extract from it and um, chat about today. I think um, I suppose kind of before we give like a brief explanation, I think um, my interest in kind of um, continuing this book after you suggested it is is just how it can it's just got me thinking a bit about, you know, what sort of things contribute to stress in my life? How do I feel stress um, in my physiology? And also, yeah, what I can do about it and changes in my environment I can do to kind of prevent stress because he gives a very uh, harrowing explanation about (laughs) how stress impacts many, many areas of your life, you know, like like memory, like your immune system, like your cardiovascular system, um, your metabolism, your risk of heart attack, strokes, all that sort of thing, which is yeah. really, really bleak. But it's, um, yeah, so it certainly got me thinking. And it's also something I feel stressed, something you feel without really knowing it. Sometimes it, it can kind of accumulate over time and you kind of realise before it's before it's too late that you're, that you're stressed. Um, and I, I guess I'll just continue to be inspired by this is I, I did a recent training at work um, called Professional Resilience, which yeah. spoke a bit about stress, a bit about burnout, how we kind of um, maintain our motivation in the work we do. So obviously, you know, both of us are kind of working in the the helping professions. Um, so yeah, I, th- I think it ties in nicely to that. So I'm, I'm excited to chat about mm. chat about that. Yeah. So a bit about, uh, yeah, stress on your own life and a bit about stress in your kind of professional life. Yes, I, um, correct. Yeah, definitely going to jump on what you said. For me, this this book, as you point out, it's like the first few chapters are just explaining what stress is. And then the, basically the bulk of the book is going through different topics on how it can affect all these different things, aging, um, metabolism, 
sexual functioning like so that this all the ways in which stress can mess up your life and then it ends the book with what you can do about it and i think uh for me the take-home message was really integrating the physiology into my i guess subjective sense of am i feeling stress or not and and not allowing myself or raising more awareness to it as you point out so i don't allow myself just to normalize it as, as you know i'm feeling slightly tight in the chest for half the day and just feeling like that's fine and that's what people should feel like it's like no actually that's that's worthy of <laughs> doing something about and um integrating into your life um ways of keeping yourself calm and relaxed at times so you uh you can kind of stave off some of these uh bleak health prospects that he uh paints in the book i think it kind of goes uh, a step beyond some of the um mindfulness um uh practices we, we've spoken about which can can often not always but can sometimes neglect the body as the point of um point of awareness to focus on i think it's definitely i suppose hi highlighted that you know what kind of what parts of my body should i be paying attention to like what are signals of stress and tension for me to um yeah to, to focus on and be, be mindful of it in my um meditation practice as well nice so should we dive into what stress is Think absolutely I, I think it'd be yeah yeah be good to talk about um yeah what his, his definition of stress is and yeah. um i suppose what why he thinks it's so important for us to cover yeah yeah so i'll, I'll give it a crack at starting and you f help me fill in some gaps so sounds great the he starts off really talking about this godfather of the of the field as he calls it han selye who uh was um uh, handling lab rats and um I can't remember, he's measuring some sort of um, hormone he's stuck in them. But it turns out that the control group and the um, group he was testing both got stomach ulcers. And he eventually found out it wasn't because of anything he was doing to them. Like scientifically, it's because he kept dropping them when he tried to inject them and chasing them around the lab and basically just stressing them the hell out. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and he came up with this term from physics, stress, to to label this um general response we have to our body being out of balance and um then for the the example that sapolsky uses for the rest of the book is this idea of a zebra and lion on the savannah right so um zebra is there minding its own business a lion pops out to chase us it of course, all this uh, physiological stuff's going to happen to the zebra so it can run away. It's a, it's a dangerous situation. It is now stressed. And everything it does in its response is to get energy and oxygen to the most important muscles as fast as possible to escape the danger. Similar sort of thing for the lion, really. You know, it's hungry. That's a stressor. It's got to turn on this fight response to go chase this zebra um for its own survival so it can get a meal but in so so we can go into what actually happens there but the idea is that in humanity we trigger the same stress response the same over generalized energy uh but we trigger it chronically by our psychology and by uh, social stresses not by the short-term physical physical stresses that it evolved to actually respond to and that's why all these negative health consequences can happen i'm from that yeah 
Yeah. Oh, I reckon that's a great explanation, mate. I think what I'd, uh, <laughs> what, what I'd add to that, um, you know, from some, some of the notes and uh, thinking I've had about it is that it's, uh, the, it's the stressor that puts our body out of balance. And it can even be the anticipation of a stressor, which is, um, quite unique to humans. You know, um, we can be upset, um, by like social disruptions in our environment, or we can predict that something bad's going to happen to us. And that can cause stress, even if the stress itself doesn't eventuate. Yeah, and definitely. Then, yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's definitely something I imagine we'll, we'll, we'll get into, but then it's also the, the stress, our, our response to stress. Um, the aim is to restore um, homeostasis in the body. So we kind of have a stressor that activates, um, you know, the, the sympathetic nervous system and then uh, we have a response to that and what he's saying is is that if we are continually using our stress response yeah um that can end up being more damaging than the stresses itself yeah, yeah. so like if there's kind of um we, we run out of like surplus energy to use so if we're kind of constantly in that state of tension trying to address this this feeling of stress yeah. that's not good for us and that kind of burns out our supply and what he, the yeah. metaphor he uses is that we're a we're an army that's run out of bullets yeah um, yeah yeah because the idea is that a stress response is evolved for a very short-term dangerous event um yes. and so you know all other things being equal you're not you don't need to be um digesting digesting and like creating sperm and um, sleeping and uh, all these things that you can do later when your life's in danger. It's like put everything off that's not immediately necessary now because you can do it in 10 minutes when you've got away from yeah. the lion, right? But in humans, that 10 minutes never comes. Well, in a very stressed human, that 10 minutes never comes because we're constantly, you know, with our imagination, with our thoughts, with our worries about things far off into the future and in the mm. past we can constantly be triggering this stress response such that our immunity never does kick back in our digestive problems persist and yeah all the other health effects and it, it can become hard to reactivate the uh the parasympathetic sympathetic nervous system if we're always in the sympathetic nervous system which right. is kind of um stimulating us in that emergency that you've described so if we're yeah. kind of it, it kind of it weakens so we're unable to calm ourselves down then we kind of live in this heightened state which leads to things like you know high blood pressure you know, stress on the body stress on the heart blood mm -hmm. not going to parts of the body that where it needs to go so you know the stomach might be denied of blood flowing there it's kind of all, all the blood begins and energy flows to the mm -hmm. part of the body that needs it the most in an emergency which often yeah. isn't the parts which kind of sustain us over a long period of time yeah hence yeah. poor health yeah so there were like two um well he kind of covered two systems in the body that respond to stress um first the nervous system and then the endocrine system and you've touched on the nervous system there then nervous system's much faster so um well, that's kind of the first port of call and it's what's referred to as our fight or flight response right yes. so um as you already noted we've got two parts of our autonomic nervous system that's our like involuntary nervous system and one's the parasympathetic and one's the sympathetic and the parasympathetic's like your brake and the sympathetic's like your accelerator so when you need to be calm and vegetative and not do much because you've you've eaten and 
you, you can have a rest and chill out. That's where your par- parasympathetic's online. But when you're in danger or need to have energy and do things, your sympathetic kicks in. Mm. And um, yeah, it's all about trying to get as much energy to your major muscles as possible. So you breathe quicker to get more oxygen in, your heart pumps faster to get that oxygenated blood around, blood goes away from your sort of um, skin and into your major muscles, like your thighs and stuff, so you can run. Your your body, like, uh, yeah, your, your adrenal glands secrete... Um, adrenaline and other hormones which trigger um things like getting glucose and fat from your fat cells into the blood system and that's all great if you want energy for the moment but in the long term that can uh have effects like putting on weight and getting diabetes Mm -hmm. and what was amazing about that it was that that was sort of that would happen regardless of diet because you're pulling in energy from reserves into your blood system Mm. and so you wouldn't even necessarily i mean obviously if you had a bad diet that's going to up the effects but you could have a perfectly good diet but if but stress could add things like um diabetes and and weight gain into your life which was yeah incredible yeah i I found that really interesting like it it goes into really scientific depth kind of Mm. about like different parts of the body and how things are like secreted or produced. Mm. It's, it's, it's very much in depth. I find, um, I found the bit about, you know, how hormones get, get secreted during the stress response, particularly interesting, you know, like those hormones functions are for kind of day-to-day use and kind of giving us a sense of like balance, whether that's, um, you know, from the, the thyroid, um, or in terms of, you know, yeah, nor, nor adrenaline. There's a different name they call it in the book actually, don't they? So we call it adrenaline, but in America they call it, norepinephrine so uh, there's adrenaline and noradrenaline in british and then in american it's epinephrine and norepinephrine (laughs) yeah yes and i think yes kind of if they're like too heavily secreted then the that can cause a a whole heap of damage to us as well you know that's kind of what we associate with like feeling like pumped up and like you know numbing any pain when we're playing a game of sport when we're super yeah we're super pumped to play um i think um I think one one bit I found interesting in relation to that is that he's saying that we need to learn to turn the res- the stress response off. So it's kind of it can become a habit that we yeah. we turn it on in stressful situations. But kind of with um with stress management, we're able to find ways to not constantly activate the stress response mm. to every situation. Um, yeah. It's almost kind of like a, a muscle you can build or a habit you can you can make. Yeah, well, that kind of goes into what actually is triggering our stress response as people, right? Because we're not being chased on the savannah by a lion. Um, And like the psychology of what, what the way we see ourselves in the world and the way we appraise and interpret situations is actually what's triggering our stress response. So, you know, we're, we're getting stressed about I mean, some things are very real still, but they're still about the future. I right? like finances and relationships and mm. they're not, they're not about your stomach being ripped out by some um, predator. Are they? Well, what he's saying as well is that in the modern Western world, we, we have regular intermittent stresses yeah. as opposed to kind of those compared to the, the zebra, which would be a uh, like, what, I don't know, obviously I don't know how often that would be, but it'd be like a, a once in a while sort of thing or like yeah. 
once once a day or once every few days whereas we're kind of constantly confronted with lots of mini stresses throughout the day and it's kind of not mm. surprising that we don't it's easy not to shut off from those if we're constantly yeah. being spiked and triggered and fired up whether that's through like um technology bad news through increased work hours um stress at work mm. it kind of it just made me think a bit about like how how regularly throughout the day do i feel stress or moments mm. that kind of like uh, yeah. are a bit jarring or like fire up that system yeah within me or whether it's kind of better to kind of you know face one scary challenge at a time as opposed to kind of uh intermittently doing it throughout yeah. the day yeah so um I just want to cover the other system before we perhaps dig into sure, how so, this really yeah, affects our yeah. lives. So the other, so that was the um, nervous system route, right? Your, it's it's going through your your sympathetic nervous system is going through your spine and going through nerves that attach to all the different organs in your body, and that happens very quick because it's electricity essentially. The slower route is through the blood, so your endocrine system. So here, you know, you you perceive a threat. And then your hypothalamus tells your pituitary gland to send some hormone down to your adrenal glands, which sends out glucocorticoids. And these are a selection of hormones that he refers to so much. <laughs> like every chapter he's banging on about these glucocorticoids. And um, I guess compared to the sympathetic nervous system, which you can turn on quickly, but also turn off quickly, this stuff takes ages, ages, but maybe like more minutes and hours to recover from once the stress is gone. Mm, mm. Whereas you can turn the parasympathetic on by just taking a slow out breath, but the effects of like, you know, it takes a while for stuff to flush out your blood, basically yeah, it goes around yeah. the system a lot. So you can feel the effects of stress even after you're actually no longer perceiving it. And, um, and yeah, so it's it still takes a while to retract. And like you say, if you're constantly having intermittent stresses, then those, the glucocorticoids, the hormones in the blood that are triggered by stress, never really get a chance to go back to baseline. So you've got this sort of chronic elevated um, stress hormone, the cortisol. Hmm. Yeah, I think, I think so... Uh are you kind of happy with uh, you know having co covered both those systems? Do you, f do you feel like we kind of given a yeah. good? Uh, that, that's like the science that's yeah. kind of out the way, isn't it? Like that's that's what's happening, regardless of the stressor. Like those are the things that go on. Yeah, I, I think it's um, you know, in terms of like reading it. Like I read it, I understood it. Yeah, I, I feel like I get it, but then it's also kind of uh, <laughs> going through it. You kind of trying to move it into the point of like utility. Okay, like what, yeah, where, where 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 does this affect me and um. So it's had, no, but it is useful to know that, like thinking that there is a, there is like a baseline, which is healthy for us in terms of our hormone levels and that we, we, and also, you know, kind of that we can't always be activated to stress. It, it seems quite obvious that, but I think it's something we do, we don't notice. We can, we can operate like at a, a high level of, um, you know, reactivity that leads yeah. to just on ongoing stress in which we never really settle alongside yeah. like if you're predicting ongoing stresses and the loop that that can cause you know if you're kind of you're feeling actual stress but then you're kind of worried about stress in the future it's mm. it, it seems like a never-ending loop really yeah yeah and i guess to 
if we're going to start pulling this theory into the more practical and um, experiential side of life, I think reading all that science and sort of getting my head around it, although I'm sure I've made errors, it, it I think it makes it more, when you understand something or when you feel you understand something, it makes it a bit more real and serious, right? It's like when you read about nutrition, mm. you often get like a, oh, really? <laughs> like that much sugar does that? Bloody hell. It's the same sort of thing. Like it, it, it's tangent. A lot, when um, we do these podcasts and read books, a lot of what we do is refer and draw upon other books we've read because this one's a bit more left field from some of what we've done. That's happened less for me. But one thing that has stood out is all the stuff about truth. Uh, and we covered like lying, the section on truth in Jordan Peterson's book and a couple of others. And it it seems that... Yeah, obviously, if you're um, misconstruing situations, or um, then almost knowing the no, sorry, I'm pausing. There's two elements here. Knowing the truth about what's actually happening to your body in those moments uh, gives me a sort of incentive and a drive to be like, okay, this is something I should really take seriously. Mm. Um, there's some there's some theory based on facts and evidence that you like you can take as the truth like yeah it, the theory might change in 50 years time but this is a pretty solid explanation for what's going on right inside. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah and and sort of yeah. choosing to face that rather than just ignoring it is like a okay i'm actually going to look into what happens in my body when i worry about this you know it's yeah and it's, it's not nice in a lot of ways is it to read about all the diseases you could get you might say it's stressful um but the other thing reading through all that did for me is to, I guess, similar sort of thing, really, but raise my awareness day to day of, oh, am I feeling a bit breathless by that? Are my palms a bit sweaty of, of, because of that interaction? Like, is there a bit of tightness in my chest? And can I, sh should I choose to do something about that rather than just sitting with it and carrying on with my day? Mm. Or just distracting yourself and kind of pretending it's not happening. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of a, yeah, it is that element of like, yeah, just, um, facing the world head on as it is like with the truth. And I suppose if you take this as, as truth as the best theory you've got about what's going on inside your body, the best understanding you could have, um, mm. it's something you can choose to pay attention to or ignore with consequences flowing from that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So something, um, I suppose it made, it made me think was a bit about, yeah, what, what you were saying there is like d discovering, like what are the the early warning signs of of stress so yeah is it kind of like that tightness in the chest yeah. or um yeah am i starting to um notice like my reactions to things are getting a bit you know i'm maybe a bit shorter a bit more irritable a little less patient like other it just got me thinking a bit broader about you know what what are the things that i i start to feel maybe before i notice physical symptoms as well like oh, yeah. there's it might not necessarily be a a sensation I have, but actually like a way of thinking or a way of behaving that is quite common when I'm feeling like under yeah. the pump or just some some in, in, inbuilt reactions that I've had over the years to um, <laughs> being on the back foot or being yeah. too busy at work or um, finding out some bad news or like a breakdown of a, a friendship or a relationship or something, yeah. you know, like what, there's reactions I have that probably 
supersede the actual physical symptoms I, I feel immediately. There might be there might be a lag sometimes. Yeah, yeah. So y- think, are you yeah. saying that you can notice your thinking patterns before you're even like feeling stress? But I, I'd, I'd say. I don't know if it's kind of more often than not, but often I, that's something I've reflected on the last few yeah. years is that like, oh, I'm kind of starting to do that again. I'm starting to get a bit less patient. I'm starting to get a bit too frustrated at slow walkers than I normally would. <laughs> and like, you know, there's, there's things that kind of kick in and then so it hits me later on. It's like, Oh fuck, I need like three days sleep. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm, I'm knackered here. Or I'm like, I'm ill, which, yeah. you know, can happen, you know, sometimes. Yeah, in, in knowing that I kind of know what's coming. I'm like, oh, if I carry on this way, if right, I keep yeah. working, I don't, I don't take the break I need, then it's going to lead to those physical symptoms yeah. we've talked about. Like a kind of a, it's like, or it'll take longer to slow down. It'll take longer for me to get back to my baseline. Yeah. And, I think, and that's kind um, of the premise of cognitive therapy, right? That you're raising awareness and recognizing the patterns of thought you have that end up causing the emotional responses and Mm. yeah it's something that yeah i guess i'm interested to go through with you his his kind of stress management uh, sure yeah absolutely and perhaps we can compare it to stuff we've already like consumed because for for everything he's obviously an awesome scientist and he's very funny um but I imagine for someone who wanted a book about coping with stress, they might be disappointed that it was basically one chapter. Yeah. So, so I, I think the, the best thing to um, get stuck into here would be the second section of the book called like stress management. So in the chapter, why is um, psychological stress stressful? Yeah. A bit that really stood out to me is the stuff around predictability and control. Yeah. So he's saying like we, when things are predictable, um, our stress response goes down. Um, there is a caveat on that that I'll touch on later. So but basically saying if we have, um, m- there's more predictability in situations in our lives, whether that can be that can be put in through like routine, structure, um, uh, friendships that are predictable, like le- you're less likely to kind of just be like, absolutely like sideswiped by something yeah. out of the blue. Like we can plan ahead our stress response goes down. But the moment there's like that loss of predictability, life becomes uncertain. We're not quite sure where <laughs> where the next stress is coming from and what it's yeah. going to be, but we know it's coming. Like th- yeah. there's that sort of total loss of it. That's when our coping, our stress response goes up, which kind of leads back to what we said earlier. So we're constantly in this like response mode. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that the caveat he's saying on predictability is that predictive information is helpful but it needs to be specific and close to the event. So you could yeah. be like, you could, you know, you could be, uh, you know, cr- crossing the road. And so I was like, oh, be careful because like the, a car's, if you cross the road today, a car's going to hit you and yeah. you'll be seriously injured. So like, you're like, okay, cool. That's today. I'm just not going to cross the road today. But then if someone's like, ah, oh, in a, in 70 years time, a car's going to, cross the road and going to hit you like that's right that's yeah not, that's not useful predictive information like it needs to be like contextual and close to the time that yeah. event could happen um, yeah th- these were like um thought experiments right where he said uh, imagine someone omniscient could tell you what was going to happen in the future when and would that not be helpful so yeah. um yeah no i'm with you yeah yeah so it's like to know that 
if you knew, as you said, that your risk of being hit by a car today is high, then that might be helpful predictive information. But if your risk at some point in 70 years there, that could just trigger more stress as you worry about this thing that's way off and out of your control at the moment. Mm. And the other part of what I was saying was um, control. So he's basically saying like people who have a more internal locus of control do experience less depression and less stress, but that can go too far the other way so so i guess back on that you know if we kind of believe that we are able to change our circumstances that we have agency that we have autonomy to change <laughs> what's going on in our lives and what's um yeah our response to things we believe we have the ability to respond to the issues yeah. and things that come our way that's good that relieves us of stress and gives us a sense of um kind of power in the situation but if we mm. go too far the other way in which we we think we can control, we think we have control when we actually don't. Like yeah. then that can lead to a level of self-blame and frustration and guilt, which isn't helpful to us as well. So if we kind of think that we're, it's hard. There's a difference between like responsibility and control. Like we're responsible for our reactions, but mm-hmm. we don't necessarily have the ability to control other people's thoughts, feelings, actions, yeah. or circumstances. And I think there's quite a fine distinction to be made there is that yeah. we can, we can be open to situations. We can expect the worst mm-hmm. and kind of accept the world as it comes to us, but also in the knowledge that we can't control absolutely everything. Yeah. And, yeah. and when things don't go the way we want them or the way we hope to control them, we can end up like stressed, depressed, frustrated, mm. Shameful. Like, I wonder. Um, I don't know. I wonder if there's something in there with uh, Seven Habits and his uh, circle of influence and circle. Oh, definitely. Of, yeah. Circle of control. I'm wondering if you might be able to add to that. Yeah. Well, this is. Um, uh, you know, I mentioned this briefly a moment ago that the idea of truth and being honest with yourself and people in your life. You know, that we've covered um, many times in different books came up for me again with this right because it's like control is good if you are actually in control (laughs) like it's good to believe you have control if you do have control and it's um stressful to believe you have control when you don't you know because like you say if if you know someone um had an accident and you believed it was your fault and it wasn't you're going to feel unnecessary stress that uh, is unhelpful because even if you felt even if it kind of like you did play a role in this accident the most helpful thing to do is would be to know exactly what role you played in the grand scheme of things <laughs> and not to sort of lie not to lie to yourself that like oh that's nothing to do with me and not also not to be like this is all my fault because either way it's going to be stressful right but really looking in on the truth of the situation says if um if we try and control the past or the future that also causes us problems and undue stress so kind of what you're saying like if we kind of look back at past events and try and control them or try and take take control of something that we can't do anything about like that puts us in a state state of tension and kind of you know things like regret can come up or Mm. um you know self-blame i suppose when he's saying like trying to can control the future i suppose that's kind of not being 
open to things kind of not going the way you necessarily want them, mm. like a, a degree of like psychological inflexibility. Yeah, yeah. That probably isn't helpful to us. That's what I imagine he's referring to when he says that. Yeah, yeah. Reminds me of ages ago now we did um the happiness trap and it was all about cognitive flexibility and um <laughs> yeah, feeling like you control the future obviously yeah that's not going to be true in certain cases and can stress you out when things aren't going to plan also reminded me of um the six pillars of self-esteem his uh, nathaniel brandon's definition of self-esteem was like self-worth and self-efficacy and if you have very low self-efficacy that is no confidence you can actually do anything then your kind of locus of control is going to be very external that like well there's nothing i can do that can who am i to do anything in this situation i'm useless kind of thing and that's going to obviously be very stressful and he didn't talk in this book what can lead to us having a sort of internal or external locus of um control but that's perhaps where the more um i guess psychotherapeutic theories could help us fill in gaps around what happens to us in Uh, childhood and our attachment figures and how we're raised and how that all has an effect on how we see ourselves, how we see the world and how accurately we see ourselves in the world, how capable and confident we see ourselves. And that's going to determine how in control and predictable we feel things are. Yeah. And and also kind of what, what role that plays as well. Like, is it a sense of um, like you, you control things in order to, to protect yourself from, um, unpredictable things like oh, if I can can control my environment to the absolute best of my ability, then that leaves no room for the unpredictable. Um, mm. I suppose for people who've had unpredictable childhoods or just tend to have unpredictable lives, it's not surprising that that kind of a that switch to be like right, I'm going to make sure that everything's okay and I'm not <laughs> subject to any undue stress. But then it can lead to being stressful in itself due to the uh, maybe being let down or mm. just the world being the way it is that yeah things don't always end up the way you want them yeah and i guess it's it's what's what's the actual threat underneath not having control or predictability yes. in this situation because yeah. so we've talked about psychologically um, obviously there are very real situations where it's actually dangerous and you are out of control you know you're in sort of war or something and I guess I'm sort of brushing that aside because it doesn't really apply to my life. <laughs> but like, that's very important. You know, if you're actually in situation, these aren't just um, mechanisms that have backfired. You know, it's it's good to actually know if you are in control or not, or if you can predict yeah. situations when you're under real threats. And that refers to li- living living conditions and yeah. you know income and food and all that sort of thing. Yeah, Some of the yeah. More basic basic needs as well as um, ones higher up on the run. And um, and so, I guess yeah. What what's the threat underpinning the control or predictability? And um, something that was interesting that he talked about in that is, lots of the time we we stress ourselves out for fun. So we go on roller coasters, we watch horror films, um, we might like, well, to some degree, playing sports. Like yeah, and it's like what we. And what we're doing in those situations is the same as play. So in play, you're sort of you're wrapped in a safe context, but within that context, you're giving up control and predictability. 
And that yes. can be exhilarating, exciting. So, you know, an example of you go bungee jumping and it's scary because you're jumping off <laughs> a precipice, but it's within the safety of you kind of trust that these guys know what they're doing. They've probably got some sort of license and, you know, it's not the first time they've thrown someone off, the, off this cliff. Like, yeah, it's not yeah. actually... Uh, you feel safe enough that the unpredictability and loss of control is fun, which I found. Quite well, the, the, there's a do. The, there remains a degree of predictability there, right? There's some yeah. kind of stru structure around it within which you can kind of dive in and and play. And I guess that can go for many different areas of life. But I guess if it's kind of the 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 structures themselves that keep you safe, which is often kind of like where we live, how we eat, what we like, the, all those basic needs we yeah. have. But if they're if they're not there, then it's kind of a it's hard to like play safe. <laughs> like you could, yeah, if that's well, that, that's yeah. definitely true. Yeah. But for like yeah. me and you and a lot of people listening, it's going to be like we're we're feeling stressed in a situation that doesn't really have any fatal underpinning threat to it. Um, and it made me wonder. And I know you've um consumed some alan watts he's a philosopher who talked about this idea of treating life as play yes um, and that, that, not serious right that's yeah. uh, that, that one we listened to in the car on the uh, a303 <laughs> and i just wonder if that could also be like if you could reframe stressful situations to such a degree where you're like look i'm here on this planet i'm giving things a go like life can be a bit of a laugh that like I'm just giving a crack and whatever happens happens. So like, obviously that's way easier said than done. But like, if you could somehow like embed that as a value, I, I could, I could imagine how situations which are very psychologically stressful, but actually don't have fatal threats underpinning them. Yeah. You could perceive to be more playful and take less seriously. And that that's a, like a really lovely reminder. It's kind of nice because I, I do remember listening to that with you at the time and I, I felt like I kind of carried that with me for a few days and it's kind of nice to get the, the reminder again. <laughs> but I, he, I think um, he, he talks about like we, we differ in how we modulate the stress response. So I'm thinking like in terms of, you know, this is where like personality comes into play yeah. and like your unique temperament and your traits and that and your kind of your worldview schemas, like all these underlying psychological things. Yeah. Um, well, a aspects of our life that kind of uh, dictate how we respond to stressful situations. Like, do we, when we're stressed, do we kind of jump to all or nothing thinking? Do we start to kind of um, like magnify or catastrophize certain parts of the situation? Yeah. Or are we able to kind of, I mean, th this is a bit where I'm drawing on some of the training I had. Um, yeah. we, we did where they're talking about, you know, how, what are some healthier ways of responding to stressful situations. So I might, some of the ways they say like uh, unhelpful is like, yeah, magnification. Um, so that can either be like catastrophizing what situation's gone on or minimizing yeah. what's gone on. Yeah. Um, all or nothing thinking. So we kind of, we get a bit too broad and think, oh, fuck it, nothing matters. This is pointless. Like, I don't care about this stressful mm. situation. Or we go too narrow and think like, oh my God, this stressful situation mm. is my entire world view right now this is the most important thing to me yeah. it's too narrowly 
Yeah, yeah. Um, this has to go perfectly or it's awful. There's no like shades of grey between like things could just be all right. <laughs> yeah. And, and then there's like getting tied up in like negativity bias, like overgeneralizing what's going on in that situation, jumping to conclusions, mind reading. Like these are all the unhelpful ways we can respond to a stressful yeah situation like that like in cognitive framing yeah yeah exactly yeah exactly so that cognitive frame but then in terms of what you're saying like can we frame things as being kind of embracing and being a bit more playful with the the stressful and the ridiculous and the wild and the things that kind of like get us really heightened like can Mm. we hold that a bit lighter i suppose what they're some of the advice i was kind of um given was you know, learning to kind of tolerate a degree of failure, like yeah. learning to accept that like actually in life and maybe in our work that we might not always kind of get what we want or the results we want um, and kind of um, look at aspects of it that like are working well. It's like actually like I am able to kind of turn up to this situation and bear bear witness to to this stressful situation but i might not necessarily be able to do everything about it but at least i'm here doing my best and that's okay um yeah and yeah i I think or i guess a final one pointing out is like instead of that like negativity bias you can kind of have like a positivity bias so you're kind of looking more for the positives in the situation where it kind of starts to veer a bit too much towards that kind of like positive self-talk but it's more about kind of a a framing of being like well what are the what are the potential positives in the situation such as like what can i learn from this is this like a new world view that i'm encountering that challenges my current one that i might be able to develop from Um, yeah it's it's about truth right you're not going to be so positive as to be blind to mistakes and things but um i i think self-worth underpins a lot of that stuff you just described because it's like when, when i ask the question what is the actual threat underneath lots of stressful situations often it is things like you point out like what if i fail or what if people judge me or whatever. i feel rejected or yeah. like yeah what, what, what would it mean what would it mean to fail yeah exactly. exactly like yeah it means that i've like not lived up to my expectations or i've embarrassed myself or i'm not good enough like, yeah, yeah. what does that mean why, why do you have to be good enough like it there's so many whys that go deeper right each time like yeah the and the bottom lines tend to be around like I, like you say i'm just not a good enough person some like moral core that i'm ah uh, it's not just like i failed at this task but i'm a failure it takes it on as an identity i am bad yeah and that, that that's kind of what i'm talking a bit about that kind of um black or white thinking like seeing yeah. things as good or bad like if i succeed then i'm good if i yeah. fail then i'm bad whereas like yeah. this cognitive reframing is kind of like well actually like i'm a good person but like i tolerate a degree of failure in my life because that's that's what yeah. it means to be and actually to be this human. task yeah. my success or failure in this task has no moral consequence at all like it's yeah. it's it doesn't mean anything about my worth or goodness as a human it's um you know it's how well do I hit this tennis ball or whatever? It's, it's a whole other realm that's outside of morality and worth, but um, mm. obviously they can all get intertwined. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, go on. I was going to say, I think this is where the book gets really fascinating when you start to think about kind of the, like how the the cognitive aspects yeah. of our lives impact the physiological aspects yeah. of rest. Like this is where it really starts to intersect that like the way we, we think about 
um, stressful situations, the way we think about pain, the way we think about yeah. the things that happen to us have a an effect on our physical bodies yeah. and how yeah. we respond, tolerate and endure stress yeah. going forward. This like, is the, I think that's the real crux of the book. Like there is a, there's an overlap that, that goes on here and this is, yeah. Yeah, and where awesome. they're usually two worlds that um, keep to themselves, it's like, no, actually mm. the way you see yourself has an effect on you know how much cortisol is in your blood and how likely you are to fight off a cold like mm. that's <laughs> they're not separate things because um yeah our the way we perceive ourselves and our situation you know triggers our amygdala and our hypothalamus and a pituitary gland and it sets off all these hormones and it's like that yeah it's I, they are you know the subjective and the objective are obviously two sides but they're two sides of the same coin and it's like the way we appraise our situation determines yeah what our body does with that i I think that ties in a bit to the the chapter he talks about um you know stress and depression is that kind of what what's happened when people kind of um uh you know suffering from depression is that Mm -hmm. they're they're kind of use the word like delusional to what's going on in reality like they have a a distorted view of Mm -hmm. reality and seeing things totally differently like you know in terms of like having an overexposure to loss of control Mm -hmm. stuff around like learned helplessness presuming the worst um and like brings in freud's example of like it's aggression turned inwards which is stressful and the kind of that conflict between you know love and hate and trying to resolve resolve those two i think there's there's a lot i've just thrown in there but Mm. like i find it interesting like what you're saying is that you know kind of the way we appraise situations can actually affect our our mood so we can Mm. that can lead to us being depressed as well which has a whole heap of other kind of physiological impacts on us and also how we interact socially beyond Mm. that um which i'm you know hope we can we can get onto um yeah and it's it works both ways so with the learned helplessness the studies came from animals right so it's like it's not you don't have to be as complicated as a human to appraise your situation so what they did is you get two groups of rats or dogs or whatever one of them uh that they're in two different rooms and in these two rooms half the floor is electrocuted and the other half is not safe now in with rat a rat a has um a lever it can press, I believe, to stop the electrocution. And oh, sorry, I've I've, I've warped two experiments together in my head. No, let, let's put it this way: the, both the floors are just electrocuted, and the electrocution goes off randomly. But Rat A has a lever to turn the electrocution off. Rat B doesn't. But when Rat A turns its electrocution off, it turns off the electrocution for Rat B as well. So they're both exposed to the exact same physiological stress. They're both Just exposed so, yeah. to the same amount of electrocution. The only difference being that Rat A learnt some element of control. Um, you then uh, continue this experiment and you eventually open their cages, the cage doors, right? So both of them can just leave. <laughs> um, and you you turn on the electrocution pads, Rat A will just leave the cage and Rat B will just lie there getting electrocuted, even though it, 
it could just walk out. So it's learned mm-hmm. that it's completely helpless. It has no control. And it, in some sense, we have to assume it must be seeing the world and itself as something that's powerless. Yeah. Um, Believes it has no, no, no capacity to even yeah. do anything about its situation. Yeah. Yeah. So like that's, that's kind of embedded in a, you know, like procedural implicit memory. It's not, it's not like it's going to be thinking this in words, obviously, but um, I, I guess that points out how deep these worldviews can go. It, you know, if, if rats and dogs can have them, then it's not as simple as I just think I'm worthless. It's sort of embedded into our emotions and behavior. And yeah, you can imagine like uh, over a period of time, that kind of, that that's just, carried on into all situations of life in which like there any possibility of kind of making things better or moving oneself forward is kind of eliminated by the fact that this person's has learned helplessness and doesn't want to yeah. change their situation even if they know it's going to be something that's beneficial yeah it's like they know perhaps uh logically or explicitly but embodiedly they don't believe that it's mm. um you know, you, you could say, well, yes, technically I couldn't see, I can just walk out of the cage, <laughs> but it doesn't feel true. And um, I think that's mm. a big difference with these things. And, you know, with the animals, you can unlearn learned helplessness by, by physically walking their legs out of the cage. And if you do that enough times, it will learn that it can do it itself. So, mm. you know, perhaps there's some um, scope there for sort of behavioral therapy in humans and that when we just really experiencing ourselves having mastery and control. We sort of embody that sense that, oh, maybe I do have more control than I think in the world. It's saying something comes up um, at work, you know, working with people kind of with them, um, major depressive episodes or, you know, ongoing depression or suicidality, you know, in terms of their, um, we really focus on people's like activities of daily living. So really just being like, try and just get up in the morning and just like get outside for like a two minute walk or just really encouraging them just to do like one simple thing that's like beneficial, like you having to like aim small over again, you know, mm. some people have, you know, used to working full time with families and that sort of thing. And then they kind of um, have, have this experience in that the simple things become so, so hard at that moment mm. in time. And obviously the, the stresses surrounding that as well, like the, the feeling of um, uh, I can't do the things I used to be able to do. And there's kind of like mm. an added layer of kind of um, guilt or um, like worthlessness, yeah. and hopelessness that kind of adds on top of that. It's like, well, I I don't feel great and I'm not going to get better. And every time I try, it doesn't work, you know, yeah. so it's kind of yeah. a total loss of motivation. And comparison even yeah. if it's comparison to your prior self, I used to be able to do this stuff. So, you know, just cause I got up this morning and went on a two minute walk, you know, I'm not going to take reward from that. I, I used to be able to go jogging or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And you kind of, it, it can sound patronizing when you give that advice, but I think that's something mm. that's a framing we give people. It's like when you're, when you're in this, um, when you're in this, in this way and in this mood, yeah. like you're, you're not going to be seeing things in a positive light. You're going to be, yeah having a negative view on on our suggestions, I suppose. Yeah, and it's reframing it to take those wins. So it's the same, you know, if you break your leg, you if it started, you know, yesterday you were able to do a little bit of physio that you weren't able to do the day before, you would feel great about that, even though perhaps a few weeks ago you could have jogged a marathon. But, 
you, you're, it's like, well, I can't have the marathon standard when I've got a broken leg. My standards have to change. And I think mm. perhaps by recognizing the actual um, physiology, physiology of depression, we can allow ourselves in the same way we would change our standards of a broken leg. We change our standards with depression. Like it is much more difficult. So these things are wins. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, you try and convince someone who's depressed that it's much harder, but that's, that would be my kind of take on that i'll be uh interested to have a um kind of you know as we're heading towards the end here i'll be interested to chat a little bit about um just kind of like the the social impacts of stress and the social contributors of stress um i think yeah. we, we've already touched base on you know kind of um you know the foundation things of kind of like you know wealth and where you live and income and those sorts of things I think we've kind of brushed on those I'm thinking more in terms of kind of your social supports friendships family having those sorts of people around because he he obviously advocates as you know a way of managing stress is to have you know positive supports for you and he talks a bit about you know having outlets for frustration so if we've got more people around us we can share our frustrations with them which kind of does like alleviate a bit of stress you'd have to kind of hold mm hold our anger or frustration on our own. And then also um, that if you've got a trusted support mm-hmm. network, you're more likely to be support seeking when things aren't going well. So you're like more willing to reach out yeah. and ask for help, which can alleviate stress as well. So I think there's two, there's two things I was interested in. I wonder whether they interested you or there's any other aspects of uh, so social lives, stress and Yeah, impacts. yeah. Well, um, so no, I, I hear that. And the way I was weaving to that place as well was this idea of self-worth and comparison and, you know, where that comes from in terms of hierarchy and rank that he, he mm. talks a lot about different species and, um, you know, the baboons, it's like in a stable hierarchy, the negative effects of being at the bottom of the social hierarchy, you know, the bottom of the pecking order. It's like everyone's beating on you. You, you pick your food and someone steals it. Like you don't get any um, mating opportunities. You have less fleas picked off your back. It's like there's just so much more stresses to be at the bottom of that place and um jordan pearson would say that when he in 12 years <laughs> yeah. of life it's like things get exponentially worse than when yeah. you're at the bottom of the ladder yeah like. and it's it's kind of more complicated for us because we for loads of reasons really but like we can compare ourselves especially nowadays to things we see you know we're, we're used to being used we, we've evolved to be in tribes of like 150 people but now we have access to like millions of people uh in both real and fiction um but we can see and compare ourselves to um you know people on social media and celebrities and friends and different people doing in different places in society and um so yeah i think that he well what does he one thing that was sounded really important in that was it wasn't because he talked a lot about being poor and poverty, but it wasn't the um, level, the objective level of poverty you were at that made such a big difference as your perceived level in your society. So, you know, you, you, you might have like heating and water and have no concerns about food um, compared to say someone in a third world country who is more equal in their society. Um, but who has much less 
objective wealth compared to you. Mm -hmm. And they would be much less stressed than you, even though you're in a much objectively better position, because you're seeing yourself as being lower in kind of a, a hierarchy. You, you feel worse about yourself. You feel less in control and have more stress. And that sounded really important. Yeah. It makes you think about kind of the, the environment and you surround and the people you surround yourself with, you know, yeah. people are kind of, uh, not, not, not don't have certain demands of you that you are, you're kind of, uh, you're as rich as they are, or like you're, you're level with them in every single domain of your life. Like just having people around you who kind of accept you for who you are. And you're, you, there's no need to compare yourself because they accept you anyway. So you don't need to kind of strive. Yeah, yeah. You're not reach, you're not reaching to be there, which could be a source of stress, like trying to be something, but then failing at that. Um, as yeah. opposed to just kind of, having people around you who are just totally accepting of who you are. Yeah. Well, I guess that changes, um, the, I guess, value you put on different hierarchies. So like, mm -hmm. you know, let's take something like, um, physical attractiveness. I mean, I was going to say it's out of your control to some degree. It's in your control, you know, in terms of, um, grooming and exercise and whatnot, but, on the whole, you're, you're born with the bone structure you have and that sort of thing. The, the face you've got, yeah. Exactly. And uh, I mean, you could talk about surgery or whatever, but you, you know, you, you could imagine someone who, that for intents and purposes, purposes is objectively not very attractive and just doesn't care. It's just not something they place value in and they're happy and they have friends and partners and get on with their life. You can have someone who's perhaps objectively very attractive and a constantly worried about it and stressed by it and comparing themselves to other people mm. um so it's where you where you stick value on these hierarchies as well and as you say like having people around you who help uh verify that you're just okay however you are helps lots of those hierarchies just to be irrelevant to you mm. So did, did any of the bits about um, having outlets of uh, for frustration or you know having people to reach out for social support strike a chord with you at all? Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So outlets, I guess it, I found it a bit vague what counted as like an outlet. So, you know, um, he, he talked about baboons, like hitting <laughs> baboons, um, lower than them in the social hierarchy and that being an outlet which um helped them but obviously not the baboons that got hit and so i guess yeah it's like socially contextualizing our outlets things like hobbies uh, exercise um yeah so i think i imagine you pointed this out earlier that having a being able to express your frustration in words and feel like someone gets it and understands you my guess would be it. that was yeah. one of the be a great outlet as well because you feel seen and understood mm. um which yeah to me obviously it's it, it makes loads of sense um to be able to feel okay having people you're close enough with to talk to about how you're doing it's um you know from the profoundest of um suffering to just your daily little squabbles it's it i think that having someone to talk to can be a great outlet for frustration yeah i um i was thinking maybe just kind of uh 
just quickly going through like his final bullet points for the key takeaways for managing stress. And then yeah. um, maybe just kind of, I'll, I'll go back to you and ask what your main takeaways were. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds good. Um, so what, what he says, the main things of managing stress is um, kind of, especially when we're older is being needed and being respected. So that would go for kind of older age. That's kind yeah. of a, a need at that age. Um, he says exercise. So in terms of, we're talking about there, you know, in terms of having an outlet for, he says like there's a certain degree of um, like tension we can release yeah. through doing like strenuous exercise and obviously yeah. the, the positive hormones that are released from doing that as well. Yeah. Like yeah. Endorphins so released. Yeah. Just on the first one, I think so, yeah. um, probably, I think he was suggesting that probably everyone needs that, like to feel needed and respected, but, but you're more likely to, to lose your, outlets for that as you get older because you know if you're not in you might get a lot of that from your workplace right especially if you've um you know if you've climbed up to some degree of authority in work and then retire you're losing a lot of your kind of social esteem so and your social circles um like dwindle. get smaller yeah so, yeah so um yeah i just kind of wanted to note that i think we all need those things but it's probably in the elderly that they're more likely to get lost mm. um what was the second one? Exercise. E exercise. Yeah. So I think there's two, two reasons that was helpful. One was the physiological stuff. So all what we've been talking about, this stress response is your body telling you to run <laughs> to, to exercise, mm. right? It's like, get the hell out of there. You've got all this excess. So run. <laughs> yeah. You've got all this yeah. excess glucose yeah. and fat in your blood that you've pulled from stores to give you energy. You've got all this extra oxygen. Your heart's beating faster. Your breathing's quicker. It's like, just use it up. <laughs> run. Don't just stand still and feel the tension. Like use it for something. Yeah. 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 So it can both be that, think... that, but also just it, it's what your body's telling, like craving for you to do as well. And that, that's where competitive sports really good for that because there's kind of like an element of like anticipation and stress and yeah. panic, but because you're kind of, you're able to use it, it, it feels it's kind of a, a positive stress response, right? That it's, it's yeah. utilized for its intended purpose as opposed to kind of a, just sitting in your armchair worrying, you know? And it's, so many, yeah. Well, and, and it's social and it's one of those examples of things that are unpredictable and to some degree out of your control but gated in safety because you know you've got the rules it's you're not actually going to yep. kill each other it's competition in sport right it's there to you know at the end of it you're all going to shake hands and go home or go to the pub but like so yeah i think that's a good one because it has so many of the elements we've talked about mm. Um, other one is kind of what we spoke about in terms of like that cognitive framing is not uh, avoid globalizing your your stresses. So in yeah. terms of um, one stressor just totally takes over all of all of your life. Um, that's basically what he's referring to there. Yeah, um, yeah. Strong social connections um, of benefit for you. He suggested going to psychotherapy um, in terms <laughs> of like for your work. Um, yeah. You know, people coming to you. Um, and another one he says here is um, repetition of corrective behaviors can change your stress response. So I think that's kind of a lot into the, um, I guess a lot into like the CBT, like, and what we spoke about earlier in terms of like recognizing your, your response to stress. So that thought, the emotion that carries, but also having, um, a corrective behavior that you're trying to work towards that's mm. a more positive stress response as opposed to kind of, uh, maybe old, unhelpful ways that don't kind of, serve you and don't allow you to kind of get back to baseline in, in a healthy way. 
Um, so there's plenty so, of unhealthy ways to get back down to baseline. Right. So knocking um, yourself out drinking or, you know. Anything yeah. Like that. Uh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So actually thinking, okay, I am responding this way in the situation, in this situation, but what am I aiming at? How, what would be a healthy way to get out of this or to I, I, re- I think also, and, and rectify. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I think also it kind of comes back down to those basics and things we've spoken about at length and we enjoy talking about, you know, kind of habits and structure and Uh, who you spend your time with and where you put your energies, like what, what kind of corrective behaviors and structures can you put in place to make your life, you know, kind of going back to a little bit more predictable. So kind of like waking up in the morning and deciding what clothes you're going to wear isn't, isn't another micro stressor throughout the day or, you know, kind of worrying like, I don't know. There's an endless amount of things that are worried about yeah. what train you're going to get. You you know what train you're going to get to work. You know what time you're going to get up. You know what you're going to wear. You know what you're going to eat tomorrow. Like you can cut out a lot of small, unnecessary, minor stresses throughout the day that you're not yeah. going to laugh. Fuck, I've got to get this done. But like, yeah, yeah, jittering around. And that's like, I guess um, that's kind of occurred to me just then. Yeah. Well, no, that's great. And it's so, yeah, you can go so deep as to talk about, um, looking at your sense of self and self-worth and changing that but then as you point out there's things that can be so simple like you might just never have been taught to use a diary <laughs> it's just never came yeah, up yeah. in your family and it's like what well if you just put your all your appointments in one place and look at them that day then they're not gonna like pop out and and um like stress you out and you're not gonna miss things as much and feel bad mm. about that and going back to the Marie Kondo stuff, you know, if your house is a tip and you can't find anything, like it's unpredictable, it's out of control. It's just like maybe tidying up for you can just be a a way just to make your environment much more predictable and in control. And you don't realize the knock on effects of the everyday stresses of not being able to find where you put that phone number and all that sort of stuff. And even kind of going to another level of, you know, what we talked about in the horizon, um, five and six and getting things done and Tony Robbins, um, you know, w- weekly review and reflecting back, like actually having the importance of a, a weekly review, being able to be like, okay, where am I, where am I putting my, my energies? Like, am I spending too much time doing this too much time doing that is doing that stressing me out too much. Like getting a really broad view of like what parts of your week are actually stressful and mm. kind of, there may just simply be, um, challenging and something you a challenge you really really enjoy but kind of in doing that too much can lead to kind of a burnout or an overstress and i think a perfect example is um with, with our work you know for you um uh, i know you've spoken before about times when you've had um maybe more clients on your books than um maybe your your lifestyle or the demands of your life at that point in time could handle and i don't know for me when i've picked up extra shifts at previous jobs or things like that it's it's a stressor I'm choosing to do yeah. like uh, a challenge that I enjoy. I find rewarding has meaning, but it can tip over to a point where it's actually, it, it's too much. And if yeah. I don't kind of take that step back and think about what are my priorities, like, am I just doing this for money yeah. or is it causing me too much stress? Like that's the kind of decision-making matrix I've got to have here is like, wh- where's the balance? Like mm. what's more, what value is more important to me? And am I going to be more stressed because I can't pay my bills this month? Or am I going to be more stressed because, you know, like maybe I could just like lose out a few, yeah. yeah, a few hundred bucks and just like accept like not doing the shift and that's fine. I'll be less stressed. I'll get a better yeah. night's sleep and use that time for something else. And that goes back to 
um, a theme of the podcast, which is like, when are you kind of striving for more self-improvement <clears throat> out of who knows what reason? Like you, you don't mm, feel good mm. enough perhaps and versus being able to sort of enjoy the moment and um, be kind to yourself, the Tara Brack stuff and the self-acceptance um yeah it's like why sometimes there's a drive to push further and in in so doing creating more stress and tipping you over that edge for for reasons you might think are good like oh, it'll be good for me to do this extra shift I'm, I'm helping more people or do but sometimes you these he talks about like type a personalities and you can take on more too much to your detriment even if you've kind of framed it in a like it's better to do more and to constantly be improving mm. and that, that's a it's, it's a really hard one to find balance in, but i think as you say like in understanding the physical impacts that has on you it's like well fuck i haven't slept properly for like three weeks because i'm doing three hours extra night trying to do this project so i get xyz i mean yeah yeah it's like maybe something else needs to give but you maintain your you need to maintain your health and your diet and your exercise mm. but like maybe you need to not go out for your mates for dinner three nights a week just in order to find that balance and i think the only way to do that is through kind of like a a weekly reflection or just some sort of like higher level thinking in which mm. you're kind of strategizing how you spend your time because i i think we just simply can't do everything in every domain of our lives 10 out of 10 all the time yeah yeah you know, we can't be building new friendships and, uh, <laughs> you know, like being absolute peak health whilst doing like three yeah. jobs and do like, yeah. it, it just gets too much. And there's kind of an inherent stress in trying to balance that as well, yeah. let alone um, actually physically do the things you're trying to do. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Mm. So irony <laughs> in terms of, uh, yeah, self-improvement causing more stress and then ending up not self-improving at all but actually neglecting your well-being well i think i think in terms of we we've had that before with this this podcast where maybe we've um a couple of times we've tried to do two maybe two books like two weeks apart or something and it just gets too much and then it starts to feel um like difficult to maybe get get through the book or give it mm. the time and consideration it needs so it's like it's an error of like we're obviously enjoying it and it, we're passionate about it but then it gets to a point where it kind of it can become stressful doing something yeah. that was once just something you did for pure enjoyment. Yeah. I, I, I don't, I don't too many of my lives to too many areas of my life to kind of tick over into that <laughs> zone of just being like, I used to love this, but now it's stressing me. Yeah. Out. Well, that's a great <laughs> point. That's a great yeah. one for us to perhaps finish on discussing because yeah, yeah it's, well, it inherently involves both of our experiences, but yeah, well, there's something that we both enjoyed reading things and sharing what we're reading and chatting about it so we decided to s record some of those conversations and as you say you know you start bucking them in and actually that the casual task of reading for pleasure t can become a time pressured task of i've got to get through and consume this and understand it to have a recorded conversation about it it can mm. build a stress that wasn't there for the reason we chose to do it in the first place and definitely some irony in that in definitely with this book because it was so dense of science it was perfect example perfect yeah, example i had actually, to yeah. read it much slower than i'm used to reading some of these books which can be quite you know 
easy reads and repetitive sometimes and um but this was not every sentence was new information possibly a new word every couple of paragraphs and it's like mm. um and it's like there's a deadline ticking and am i understanding this enough that i can talk about it and yeah those thoughts triggering my own stress response it's like i can feel my test chest tightening as i'm reading this <laughs> book it's like uh, maybe i should go on a run <laughs> get off yeah and i, I think I, I can feel that happening in other areas of my life too and i think that's i think you know even just come talking now especially this last 10 15 minutes has really made me realize that actually you know kind of try and keep a bit of balance on that that you know kind of i want to make sure i'm kind of doing things for the, the like the meaningful but mm. doing it in a way that's kind of balanced and not putting pressure on myself like yeah. trying to do as many things as possible in that you know what tony robbins described as like time of your life he would do like in the zone of fulfillment things i do yeah. for like pure joy that are like important but they're not urgent and i'm just yeah whereas when things start to kind of feel urgent yeah they can become stressful yeah and it's like yeah. how, how can i it all links in really doesn't it? like how yeah. can i plan my life and plan my week that i'm not constantly putting pressure on myself to get things done and able to get into kind of more flow states with what i'm doing yeah. like allowing space just to enjoy and do the things that are meaningful to me rather than like i mean got i mean there's enough things out there that are probably like stressful anyway let alone yeah. stressing about the things you enjoy doing that make <laughs> you happy yeah. like fuck stressing <laughs> about your hobbies. <laughs> uh, you know like it happens at the gym sometimes i'm like oh, yeah, God, i've yeah. got to get to the gym tomorrow but like yeah, i really yeah. want to go but also is there is there a, a healthier attitude towards that a healthier way of kind of keeping fit without like having to lose sleep to get up to the gym and go yeah, yeah. Get I, to go to the gym you know i think that's for me that's where i i would love to really ingrain more of this seeing more of my activities as play and not not to the degree that i don't take them as alan watts would say sincerely or, or even seriously but see but with with that element that you know at the end of the day at the end of my life this doesn't really matter um and yep. not in a bleak nihilistic way just in a like you know you can smile and have a laugh and joke about these things because you know our predicament of, of being a human on this planet is kind of funny yeah and you can you know kind of what i was saying from the training you can think about things broadly but not yeah. nihilistically you know not not yeah, just yeah. like well fuck this this is pointless like yeah i'm just not going to go to work tomorrow <laughs> or i'm not i'm not going to go do that activity tomorrow whatever like you just sort of you're like okay i'm accepting responsibility to do this i'm going to do my best but also like i can't entirely control what's going to happen yeah so keep, keep some perspective and um yeah treat myself with some compassion as well yeah, yeah, yeah. in order to relieve a bit of stress. I, I think I'm surprised at how much is tied into this, actually, the, the further into the podcast we've gone. There's a lot, a lot in this. I think I'm, I'm, yeah. gl I'm glad we did it. I'm glad, I'm glad we did it because it's kind of, it's a raised awareness of the, particularly the, the physiological impacts of stress, but also ways to kind of manage that through some of the strategies we've spoken about. Yeah. And I think in other books. Yeah. Yeah. To some degree, um, what we have already covered a lot of in other books leading up to now are all great you know sometimes as we pointed out you can take it too far and things can become stresses themselves as you try to improve and move the goalposts but in general a lot of what we've covered will helps with stress you know getting things done and um 
clearing out your possessions and structuring your life and knowing what you're aiming at and um learning to be telling the truth in your relationships telling the truth in your relationships building the intimacy so you have social structures and someone to go to when you're not happy you know you're not keeping it all to yourself and repressing it it's um yeah uh, it's almost like we could we could write a book on ways to manage this stuff and and this has really plugged in the gap of the actual physiological science that underpins all that i think that's just an absolute fantastic summary you've just given i think that's great (laughs) i think that's really good yeah i think you've summed it up really nicely um okay i think i think we've we've given that a a good go definitely went a little bit over time but i think there was some stuff really worth talking about there at the end i uh yeah and kind of enjoyed unpacking that because i hadn't Mm. thought about hadn't really thought the extent to which um it all tied in so yeah thank you um, yeah, yeah thank thank you and um he, he did end the book on like basically just choose something like take it seriously it almost doesn't matter what you do he, he joked you could stand on the corner of the um city street and recite teletubby poetry or something but like if you're doing it to, to overcome fears and manage your stress like the fact that you're choosing to help yourself might be the biggest factor so um yes that's, that's... I, I i like that idea they almost just think that you're worthy of taking care of and treat your stress sincerely and like whatever you do for that's going to help mm. that's a really nice nice way to end it <laughs> I like that. Okay. So next week we're unpacking the, uh, building a second brain by Tiago Forte. It's not a book yet. I heard that he might be writing one, but it's a system of, um, knowledge work, how to contain. Yeah. We read a lot of books, obviously make notes on them. How do you structure that? So you don't, lose the benefits of that you know it's it's all about using technology to do what your brain's not quite good at which reminding you of stuff and storing things in the right place and and so you can use your brain what it is good for which is the creativity and the learning and um, it's a system of doing that i think it'll be tied nicely with ways to de-stress your life i think it will yeah and i think it'll it'll probably fall nicely into kind of um stuff around lifestyle design as well you know kind of um thinking about you know what kind of content we consume what for what purpose and um yeah i think everyone could um benefit from a bit of that like certainly anyone who kind of consumes the sort of content that we're we're producing and has an interest in what we're we're doing as well certainly um yeah it's inspired me to think a bit more about like the way in which i note take and um you know the way in which i store information because hopefully you know we're going to want to reuse some of this information later in the yeah. future so uh no I've, I've enjoyed i've read a few of the um uh a few of the blogs and um consuming some of the content you sent over as well so um yeah interested to unpack that one with you so i guess we'll we'd have chucked it up on the screen by now but um yeah we're going to aim to do that in a couple of weeks time so uh yeah keep keep your eyes open we're going to be releasing a few more short clips and that so anyone listening wants to send anything to their mates uh, keep your eyes open for the clips and more uh, yeah make a few more short ones cheers mate good stuff mate take care good night thank you bye bye